You are listening to Billionaires in Boxes, the number one podcast publicist for businesses globally. Hello and welcome to this edition of Billionaires in Boxes with me, your host, Phil Paluccia. I'm joined by Tara Youngblood and today's conversation is not going to put you to sleep, but hopefully it's going to help you to sleep much better. So uh, Tara, it's a real pleasure to have you here on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. You're, you are most welcome. We're going to have a good conversation. Every time I speak to you, I learn something. Uh, and that is, a, that is a high praise indeed. That's a big compliment. So especially from someone who thinks he's a bit of a know-it-all. Awesome. <laughs> well, everyone has to have their zone of genius and definitely mine is sleep. So I can usually give you all sorts of useless and somewhat useful facts on sleep. I think they're useful. I think they're incredibly useful, as I'm sure our guests will find as well. I mean, let's be honest, sleep is something that impacts every single one of us, but for the vast majority of the public, it's something that we actually know so little about. Um, I mean, now we've got these Fitbits and things that are tracking our sleep and telling us what it means, but even so, I don't think anybody knows what those stats actually mean. They talk about how much light sleep, how much REM, how much deep sleep, but do we actually know what that means? I yeah, certainly don't. we can, we can. And that is, that is absolutely my mission is to, is to debunk uh, myths and to make it all a little bit easier. But that's uh, as a coach, that's, that's my goal is to make that easy. Perfect. Now, this is an interesting one because your business is called Chili Sleep. And I don't know about anybody else, but I'm somebody who I grew up with a, um, what do you call them? Electric blankets to kind of heat up the bed, and, you know, I, the 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 cold side of the pillow and a nice warm quilt and all this kind of stuff. And that's how people think about getting ready for sleep. And you have a completely different stance on this, which I love. So um, do you want to kind of just for our audience who haven't come across you before, do you just kind of want to introduce you and, and Chili Sleep and what you're all about? Yeah, so I am the CEO of Chili Sleep, and Chili Sleep is really all about thermal regulation for sleep. It's like a thermostat for your bed, so we basically put a mattress pad in your bed, and with that, you can adjust the temperature, you know, in a pretty wide range. So you're um, in in if you're listening in the U.S., it's 55 to 110. If you're listening in the U.K. or or anywhere else where there's metric, because the U.S. won't let go of that other system, um, you're you're more in the uh, 10 degree is up to 46 degrees so it's 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 pretty chilly if you want to and the beauty of that is it does do amazing things back to how do you take your sleep tracker information and turn it into something actionable um temperature is in that sweet spot that once you're asleep i can talk to your unconscious brain and make your sleep amazing that sounds amazing. Well, I'm going to have a lot of questions for you about this, and some of them will be from a selfish perspective as well, because mine, uh, my my kit is on its way over the next couple of weeks, and I'll be getting all of that set up and, and ready to use it. So with that range, then, let's start with that range. That is a wide range of temperature. Um, is is it different for each person? Have you done this for personal preference? I mean, what's what's the thoughts behind that? Yeah, so there's there's sort of general metrics that are important to think about. So as human beings, uh, we evolved to sleep outside. And so our temperature and our circadian rhythm and the, and the clock inside of us is actually ingrained to some of those outside temperature changes um, where it gets cooler at night. And so right now in our modern day lives, we like having that temperature consistent. So the temperature is in your house is all the same and your office or wherever you're going all is the same. And so there's no triggers for your body to tell you when to go to sleep. So Back to like, how do we make this easy? The first thing about a sleep switch is it's actually triggered by temperature. Um, that was discovered in 2003, not by me, but um, out of a guy out of Harvard figured it out. And so there is this little light switch kind of moment you could have to turn it on and off sleep. And it turns out 
temperature is part of it. Pretty magical. First that easy is, button. That does sound pretty magical. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, and, and I've never really thought of it that way, but you're right. I mean, our... our you know, particularly if you have sort of central regulated heat, heating systems, every room is the same temperature. Um, so I guess your only trigger is it's dark. I should probably be asleep right now, which is why so many people suffer from insomnia and just sit up wide awake. And um, you know, we got so many distractions around us. But if if there's that, if that is there, if there is a trigger switch that could be controlled through temperature to do that, uh, that sounds amazing. I do have a question though, right? Because one of the things I was thinking about this the other day was if I kind of went for like a an ice bath or a cold shower um, before bed, like I remember having cold showers in the morning to help wake me up because it's kind of like once you're in that freezing cold shower, it's like, whoa, okay, I'm a, your kind of body gets shocked into the being awake. So how do you regulate the difference between your body being cool enough to sleep but obviously not then making your head so alert that it's kind of been shocked into being wide awake? Yeah. So first of all, your ice bath or ice shower should not be like within an hour of bed for all of those reasons, because you're going to get that rush. But then it's it's like anything else. If you bring it up, then it wants to go back down. And mm. so you definitely want to do that, like not an hour before you want to go to sleep. Like it's it's close to bed, but you want to be able to trigger that temperature change because when you go to sleep, your body wants to get cooler and that's colder, like your core body temperature dropping two degrees. So if you think about what does two degrees hotter feel like when you're running a fever, it's a pretty significant difference and the same as for cooler. And so you're basically by doing that ice bath an hour before you're saying, okay, body, it's time to start dropping that temperature. And it's again, that change that's going to flip that switch. It's actually not the physical of being in a cold space or being warm. For some people, it can be as simple as warming their feet. So that's where there's mm -hmm. a whole spectrum. So some people, it can be putting socks on, warms them enough to create a temperature change that does it. God bless those people that can do that. Um, yeah. But then there's there's the other extreme where you're going to be somewhere between. Sometimes a warm shower is enough and you won't have to go cold shower. It's just enough to create that change. And again, you're warmed up and dropping that colder temperature just when you get out because you you chill off a little bit when you come out sometimes that's enough to do it as well so some people will find the warming is actually more effective for them it's not as extreme but anyone else um a lot of times those high metabolisms which you talked about athletes athletes in particular have high metabolisms um they're fairly used to ice baths their body is looking for a more extreme and so for them that's when you're looking for that further extreme some disease profiles like ms and autoimmune diseases also are going to probably need that ice bath version as well, but they will get mm. very similar results. That's amazing. I love this. And we're going to talk about sports and athletes and all that kind of stuff as well, because there's some incredible work that you're doing there. And um, we're doing some of that stuff together in terms of hopefully introducing you to some more kind of people globally as well for what you do, which is exciting. So, But I wanted to ask, how did you get involved in sleep? Why, why, why sleep? So this is a pretty extreme version, but... I did the equivalent of driving my kids to school drunk every day. And I didn't mean drunk from alcohol. This is drunk from sleep. And so if you don't get enough sleep, it is the same as being drunk. It is truly cognitive levels, physical performance. You might as well just sign up and go to a pub instead. It is really bad. So if you... Um, get to that state it is it is a horrible mess and for me i had lost my youngest son um, i wasn't always a great sleeper in general and then you combine that with the grief and depression that came from that and for about a year i did not sleep so i had to find a way to 
to get that back? How do I find that? Um, my background is in physics and scientific research. And so it was a, a big, huge deep dive into there has to be a recipe. Um, I love to cook. So there has to be a recipe that can fix this. And yeah. so that was, you know, uh, about seven years of, of deep research, um, everything from Chinese traditional medicine and Ayurvedic, which is a little more Indian tradition, um, wow. neuroscience, psychology. Um, I have lots of books um, and lots of research of studies and, and different ways in which to to get someone to sleep. That's incredible. Um, and I want to I want to touch on all of that actually because there's I, I never imagined that that was going to be the answer. If I'm completely honest, in terms of sort of where where you kind of even look to for inspiration. But first, because I can't let it pass without saying I'm I'm terribly sorry to hear about the the loss of your youngest son. That was um, uh, yeah, that must have been heartbreaking. As a, as a father of two, I can I can only imagine. So yeah, really no one wants to, to imagine. It's it's just one of those things that you you get through, like any type of sort of trauma or event. But it, I do feel like the gift. Uh, I always look for silver linings, and I think yeah. when I work with veterans or other people that have gone through different types of trauma, there is a there is a an understanding and an empathy that um, having gone through some extreme event allows you to be able to connect with people on a different level. And so a lot of the, my work with veterans, um, PTSD sufferers, um, for sleep comes comes from that sort of connection point well actually i'd go one step further than that i mean it's absolutely those people you're helping but you're helping lots of people with this you're educating you're helping your your hardware and everything else and, and i know we're talking about an app that's coming out as well but there's so much there that is designed to you know to help people and enrich people's lives and what a beautiful legacy to leave if, if that's kind of was inspired by by that experience yeah, you, you have to find you have to find uh, no regrets in your life, and one of the ways of not having regrets is that you've gone through something and and you find a way to give back instead. That's such an amazing attitude to to, to take, honestly. I mean, I'm like you said, it's something you don't even want to imagine, and I'm I'm literally sat here thinking about my two children, thinking I would be, I would be a wreck. I don't I don't know how I'd get up and carry on after that if i'm completely honest so the fact that you took such strength from that and 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 have, have pushed on to really help so many people is just it's really admirable i didn't know that about you but that's i already loved your work but that's that's really powerful that's really admirable thank you for sharing that yeah it's i think um, it's important to to make sure people know that there's other people that have gone through that kind of thing wow no, I completely agree with you. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. That was that was not where I expected the conversation to go, but I'm really glad that you did. Really glad that you did. Um, and actually, I'm I'm curious, uh, kind of taking it back to to kind of your research. Then, um, I mean, you strike me as the kind of person who's a bit of a, a knowledge sponge, right? You want to know everything that's happening. You want to know the research. You want to know even the contradictory stuff. You want to compare it and see where the where the opportunities are and where the where the similarities are and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, to then kind of go back to almost ancient Chinese and uh, medicine and and the Indian cultures and, and everything else, you know, what what was it that you kind of found in those areas that you thought, well, actually, we've known this for hundreds of years, thousands of years. What what was it that you discovered? So I think it's really interesting. If you take Ayurvedic medicine, for example. Um, you know, we take diabetes, at least in the U.S., is sort of like that's just a disease and you live with it for your life. A lot of those traditions don't treat those same diseases that way. They treat it as fixable, as something right. you can work through, um, you know, different if you sort of genetically have it. But if you've, if you've gotten diabetes, you can get your way back out. And so I think some of the lessons that you learn is that there isn't some magic pill. We in 
sort of our societies, we think, oh, there's a magic pill for that. And if mm -hmm. there's a magic pill for it, that's going to fix it. But in, it actually turns out that if you look at those traditions, it was a, a mix of a lot of different things that came together in order to solve problems. But even those problems that we thought that were unfixable or hard to fix often can be fixed. And so I think it's it's that knowledge of it's it's possible. I mean, we all need to hear always that it's possible and there's a, yeah. a, a path to find. And when you know it's possible, then you work really hard to find that solution. And sleep yeah, is I, absolutely something in that category. I was going to say, I think that's that's a really valid point. In fact, it's a slightly different topic here, but I was actually having this conversation with somebody yesterday about how doctors prepare people for surgeries and treatments and all this kind of stuff. And it's... Um, you know, you, you hear about medical miracles and all this kind of stuff, but the, the conversation actually came about because of, of cancer. Um, my, I actually moved back to the UK cause my, my mom had stage four cancer and, um, she had to go through quite a, a serious operation and then about 12 to 18 months of chemotherapy. And I remember listening to the doctors and the way that they present information, right. is basically it's, it's doom and gloom. So she was said, look, I'm nervous about the chemotherapy. What's it going to be like? And his exact words were, it's like letting off a mini nuclear bomb inside your body every two weeks. I mean, what's that going to do to somebody's mentality? She's like, you're going to feel awful. And it's like, it's going to be really bad. And when she uh, was in remission and got the all clear, which is ridiculous. Cause I mean, she was, she originally given like four to five months to live um and then she she went through the oh yeah so she had ampullary cancer and pancreatic cancer so it had spread mm. from the ampullary duct to the pancreas and you know as soon as you hear stage four uh, pancreatic that's, cancer, that's, like, that's good night right yeah. um so they removed part of the pancreas and the ampullary duct and basically then used chemotherapy to fight what was remaining in in the pancreas and, and they did it and we went to see the surgeon and my mom was in like a, a celebratory mood. Like she was so happy as you can imagine. And he said, we've probably just bought you another four or five years. And she said, four or five years? Like why, why four or five years? And he said, well, it will come back. And, and now there's nothing to remove because we've already taken it all out. So at that point, your options are chemotherapy or, or good night. And I remember thinking like, <laughs> like how is let that her, the let way her, Let her have a mind? win. Like where's the, yeah. where's the, Where's the win? Yeah, you have to. I, I I do feel like that is that is the challenge of where medicine is today. It's it's amazing, but it's not about wellness. It's it's about you know again triage and and fixing. But if you want wellness, you're going to have to look outside of those channels. And to me, sleep is absolutely one of those vehicles of wellness. That if you do sleep right, you can fix a whole lot of things. And you know I back to that can. sort of cognitive loss or performance for sleep. And that's you know really we we're when we work with professional athletes that's a big part of the conversation so you know you're making all that money but if you don't have a long career so if it's if it's over in two years because you haven't slept you have lots of injuries you know all of those go together they're hand in hand so if you don't want to have injuries you have to sleep it's it's a, mm. a straight out one-to-one -one kind of ratio like sleeping prevents injuries period and so if yeah. you want a long career you have to invest in yourself you have to invest in sleep I love that. I, I really do. And, 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 um, you know, the body has the power to heal itself. I mean, we have this conversation about diet and certain things that you can and can't do and things that you should and shouldn't put inside your body and all that kind of stuff. But sleep is such an important component of that. I mean, I, I even think back to kind of growing up, one of the things I've always known about myself is that when I'm sick, 
I sleep a lot. Um, like I, my family used to jokingly say that I could sleep off a virus because um, I'd go to bed and sleep for like 24, 25 hours, wake up and I'd be like, I'm gone now, fever's gone, I've slept through it. It's, um, but my body would just almost put, put me into that position to sleep. So I've always kind of recognized that, the, that there is deep healing power within that. Um, but, you know, I'm curious to kind of start diving into some of the ways that we can start to access that that better quality of sleep and also starting to debunk some of the myths. Like, is it true that we need six to eight hours a night? Is it true that it has to be the same time every night? Is it, you know, all of this kind of, is it, you know, can I have a cup of tea before bed? You know, what, what, how, how many liters of water should I drink before I go to sleep? All this kind of stuff. Because, I mean, I imagine you hear these questions in and in and out every single day, but they're genuinely what people think like they read how do i have a good night's sleep or you have a cup of green tea before bed and you get a hot water bottle and i mean i'm looking at your face like wincing at this but all this stuff sounds like the the worst possible advice it is and and honestly that you get the same sort of 10 tips and and frankly most of them are wrong and i think you had you hit almost all of the major ones uh in one in one little uh, sentence there. Um, so eight hours, no, no, we didn't used to sleep eight hours straight. This became as part of the industrial revolution, factory workers fought to get eight hours off. And so it really became of like, you had to have eight hours off. And, you know, you look in UK, Spain, Europe, um, all of those, there's literary references to first sleep and second sleep. We'd come home after sort of working or being in the fields and we'd take a nap and then we'd wake up and have a later dinner. And Spain still sort of sticks with that nine to 10 dinner. And there's sort of social time that happens after that, that, and then you'd go to sleep again. So there's, there's really no particular way in which you're supposed to sleep. There's not one way there's billions of us, all of our genetics and who we are and, and, and what is going on in our life plays a role with that. Now there's mm. some rules, if you know what rules to keep and what rules to break. So when you're, you know, traveling around with jet lag and things like that, there's, there's things you want to acknowledge and be smart about. And then there's things you're like, no, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. So it's, absolutely. it's about what to keep and what to throw away. So what are some of the, what are the, say the top three rules that we should follow then for, for a good night's sleep? Well, if you take sort of jet lag context out of it, because the, the rules for that are a little bit more complex depending on where you're going and how much difference. Um, but if you if you think about your clock is working a certain way, and that's where understanding your chronotype, and chronotype is as simple as taking a quiz. We have one on our website that you can take. Um, but chronotype is, is genetically driven. So you are genetically driven to be a morning person or night person or somewhere in between. There's obviously, again, a whole spectrum. So if you're a super morning person, you may wake up at four, ready to go. If you're a super night owl, you may go to bed at one o'clock and that's you know your clock. So you need to understand your clock, first of all, and be respectful of that. So if you're trying to hack it, then you need to sort of know if you're a night person, your flexibility to hack is actually bigger than if you're a morning person. Us morning person people, I am one of those. My clock is a little bit trickier to hack, but a, a night person has way more flexibility with naps. They're way more flexible with when and where those naps happen. Um, but it's also a little harder for you to peg your cognitive best versus your most creative time, highest blood pressure and best performance windows are a little bit harder mm. um, because you're so flexible on your clock. Those of us that are really entrained to their clock, like morning people tend to be, um, I can I can put 
absolute metrics on when I'm going to be best at my cognitive load or most creative or when I'm going to be able to do things, all of those. So even as I manage my workday, what do I do during certain blocks of time or productivity blocks? I can be very specific on. And when you get to athletes, it's really important to do that. So when you figure out what workout should go in what, so if you're going to do interval training or you're going to heavy weights or different things like that, you can use that same clock. You can use sleep as a measure of what your workout should be and how it's going to be most effective. So understanding chronotype is really that first thing as part of that recipe of understanding this is my framework and I'm going to function and move things around within that framework and decide to do that. And again, even for jet lag, understanding that framework, this is where I'm going to start and I'm going to work to shift it to this, but you need to know what that framework is to move it, to be able to move it around and Mm. make sleep work for you. I'm definitely putting that in the show notes. Yes. Um, taking a chronotype quiz. Is, and it's fun. Who doesn't like taking a quiz? It's kind well, of like... that is a must, right? Because you've just mentioned so many things there that sound absolutely mind-blowing. And even in terms of being able to kind of know, okay, this is my this is my sleep pattern. So this is when the most sort of creative part of uh, my day would be. This is when I'm going to be the most energetic. This is when I'm going to be, et cetera, et cetera. Your body is just a system. So after you figured out chronotype, the next thing is to figure out a little bit about uh, who you are as a person and what you need. Um, And those are HRV and resting heart rate and, you know, what are your objectives? Um, But as a baseline, you really want about two hours of deep sleep and two hours of REM. Now, as a 20-year-old with no metabolism or professional athlete sort of metrics that are going to skew that, an average 20-year-old college just guy is going to sleep pretty brilliantly that way. Um, And so for better or worse, that becomes a little bit the gold standard, right? So what's easiest when we're an adult? Um, And then unfortunately, from from there, it goes downhill pretty quickly. So age can take away deep sleep and make it hard to get. So by the time we're 80, it could be less than seven minutes, which is why every disease of the elderly is now attached to lack of deep sleep. But if you consider sort of those professional athlete metrics of you have a high metabolism, you're, you're moving workouts, your body sort of temperature metrics and system metrics are being changed and pushed to the limits um, because that's what makes you a great athlete. Um, That's also going to skew those results. And you're going to have to sort of work and keep track back to those trackers. Where is the value? The data is valuable if it's a feedback loop. And so if you're measuring your sleep, good for you, but it really needs to be as part of a feedback loop. Okay. I only got an hour and a half or I only got 30 minutes. Why? And then we need to be able to bucket those with how do we get it back to that? And so any data without a feedback loop or without that sense of what am I going to do on it is not really actionable. It's just data. And so its value is, is diminished significantly if you don't know what to do with your data. Mm, I find mine ranges like quite significantly and i i have to be honest i don't know why so like i mean the, in the last week alone i've had a 37 minutes a 45 minutes the last two nights i've had one hour seven and one hour 35 and i have no idea what i did on the one hour 35 night differently to the, the night i got 35 i have no idea 
So I will say that sleep is a little bit tricky that way. And so to make it easy, you need to sort of spread it out over time. And so I'm guessing that there's certain habits that you do on certain nights of the week that are having an influence. And if you mm. keep in mind, sleep is sort of like diet. So if you were to fast today, you may not actually see those results in your weight for three days. There's really sure. a window that happens there. Whenever we measure anything with our body, we're taking a snapshot and we don't always have the context. And sleep, actually is really informative. So when you think of in terms of COVID, aura rings were, were used in a bunch of different ways to sort of predict COVID because the, the increase in temperature in your body actually happened during sleep before you were able to measure it. So three to four days before you'd get the rest of your COVID symptoms, you can actually see it in your sleep. You're going to see your HRV tank you're going to see those metrics just go way down. Your body will be in a high stress level. You'll lose deep sleep and your temperature, body temperature will increase. And that's pretty indicative of any virus or any heavy load that's happening on your body. And so if you can imagine putting yourself through a marathon or an extreme amount of physical activity is going to also play some of those havoc. So managing that and keeping it bucketed so you are sort of primed for when you want to have the best sleep is takes a little bit of planning. It's not just a one night like I did this last night. It's it's a it's an overtime perspective. And if over time your trends are a certain way, um, but then you can also take those snapshot looks and make predictions. I would say if your sleep was at, you know, an hour and a half for deep sleep, go ahead and work really hard out in the gym. Um, if it's only 30 minutes and especially combined with a higher resting heart rate or HRV, then you really don't want to push your body that hard. That's a recovery day, but that there's ways in which sleep can actually predict how you can best utilize your workouts and to get the most out of them. That is phenomenal. I love that. And and again, I guess that takes the whole, uh, you know, there's a whole debate about whether or not you plan for the next day, the night before, or whether you do it first thing in the morning. I think you've just kind of answered that, haven't you? Because you really need to look at how it was that you slept and how it was that you rested to be able to kind of plan for the day effectively. Uh, whereas if you plan like the night before, it's like tomorrow I'm going to hit the gym, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do the other, and then you get 35 minutes deep sleep, your body's telling you something completely different to your schedule. It is. And so that's where there's sort of this mix. And I think it's like with any coaching of any kind is you know, we want to create a sense of predictability. We want to have consistent performance, right? So being able to show up and, you know, do an amazing performance one time, uh, almost and not almost anyone, but, you know, people can kind of pull that off. But if you yeah. want that consistent performance, like over the course of a season or over the course of a year's that's really the trick of that longer term view. And so there is a part of that predictability, but then there's also being that smart of, hey, this happened. It could be that you picked up a virus on a plane or things like that. And so you need to be able to observe that in the morning and take that into account when you're working out. Okay. I love that. Look, I, I want to talk, talk to you about a big issue that we have over here in European sport when it comes to, particularly when it comes to football, soccer for some of our listeners. Um, although I'm going to keep referring to it as football, um, just to let you know. <laughs> um, so I, we have American football and football. And the way I say that the difference is one is a foot and a ball and the other is an egg and a hand. Um, <laughs> so I'm not quite sure why it's called football, but there we go. Um, and, and I want to talk to you about that kind of whole jet lag piece because that's a real issue here. But before we do, I have one final one final question for you on sleep because this is the another one that when I was researching it, there is really strong advice one way or the other. 
And I don't know where the truth lies, is my honest answer. And that's light and sound. Because some people, it's like, okay, you have to have a pitch black room. Other people, it's like sleep with the curtains open because waking up naturally with the sunlight is really great for you. Other people, it's like buy blackout curtains so it's pitch black in the room at all times. And then the same with sound. It's like some people, it's have white noise. Some people, it's have frequencies. Some people, it's listen to uh, medit- you know, guided meditations to help you sleep and get into a sleep hypnosis. Where do you sit on this? Where is the truth? Yeah, so the, the truth is to some ex- aspect for some people that is going to be true in some cases there are billions of us and so to uh, the sleep problem i think becomes in this one prescription for all people's sleep is what's broken it's not to say that there's going to be some people that are very sensitive to light there's people that are sensitive to emfs which we haven't even gotten into but that is electromagnetic frequencies and wi-fi's and and those sort of things may make them really sensitive and you can't even see that or predict that um caffeine is another one of my pet peeves because my husband has no results with caffeine at all um, I have extreme receptors and it's just about your receptors, right? They, if they don't work mm. uh, in 5% of the population telling you not to drink caffeine doesn't mean anything to you at all. It doesn't have an effect. And so that's really where it goes back to the sleep recipe is pretty unique. You can make blanket statements on how to fix that, but it's really very, uh, circumstantial. And that's really where mm. the coaching comes into it. You know, you can't, you can't say, okay, all billions and billions of us are all going to sleep the same way. It doesn't work that way. But you wouldn't say that for diet, right? You wouldn't say that for workouts. You wouldn't say that for other metrics. And so it seems really broken that sleep, we're going to give you the same eight tips and say, absolutely, that's how you have to do it. Um, that's, That's to me what's absolutely broken. And if you are sensitive to light, then you should block it out. If you're not, and it feels good to wake up in the morning because you're a morning person, I like the windows open because um, I, I do. I want to wake up early and that's who I am. But if you're a night person, you don't care about the morning. So don't do it. Don't do it. Block yeah. it out. Put on the blackout lights. Keep all the light away and sleep late because you went to bed late. So, you know, it's really about listening to what feels good for you. Sleep is a lot about what feels good. I like that. I like that a lot. That's really good advice. Okay. Let's touch on this because I'm aware that time is getting away from us. You and I could go forever, but um, time is getting away from us. I want to talk to you about the work that you're doing because your hardware is in the White House. There are presidents and CEOs. There are leading athletes across uh, North America in in a variant of different sports. Uh, And this is now starting to go global even more so um, with the work that you're doing. So um, I want to talk to you about an issue in particular, as I said, that happens in, in soccer because I think if you could help to if you could help resolve this, you would not only be very successful, I think you, we would probably put a statue of you outside certain stadiums. Oh, um, wow. Oh, I'm serious. This is a real issue, right? And it's the fact that when we have international breaks for our players, you know, the Premier League is a great example, attracts players. But the same can be said for France, Germany, Spain, Italy, Portugal. You know, we attract players from all over the world. We attract the best players from all over the world. But it means that during a season, there will be numerous occasions where we'll break off for an international break to go and play international friendlies or, you know, cup qualifiers or whatever it's going to be. And we will be sending our best players over to Brazil, Argentina, to Japan, to Australia, and to the four corners of the globe. And then they come back fatigued, tired, jet-lagged, unable to train, 
you know, for a few days. Therefore, they're going to miss the kind of opening game to go back into the season, or they're going to try and push themselves to play through jet lag to be able to make that happen. If a club, you know, is completely dependent on that player. And one of the things that you mentioned in our last conversation was that you believe you can eliminate jet lag or at very least kind of minimize the results really minimize the results because it's it's about that so um i do work with uh some american teams baseball teams in particular have a pretty aggressive schedule and so um for example like the cincinnati reds you know when they go to go and and that's why it's it's hard to give you one prescription that'll fix jet lag for each of those obviously coming from portugal is pretty different than brazil because of the difference in time and and again trying to look at that but what we do with them is for every single game we look at every single game as a unique sort of prescription if you want to call it that it's not Mm -hmm. really a prescription but it's it's a recipe right so if you're going to fly to the west coast it's going to be pretty different than if you're going from cincinnati to boston for example because that's a different trip but it also depends on the plane ride that they're on so if that's all in one block and when that hits do they have time when they get back to the club or when they get to that club there to do different exercises and do things so it really is a little bit circumstantial a little bit about the player themselves about what do they need um so it's but we give equivalent of sort of pulse checks in of uh, literally written out like this is what you need to do. Yes, you can nap on the plane. No, you can't not nap on the plane. Um, when you get to the club, you need to do the following things. You may need to work out. You may need to do an ice bath. You may need to do certain things. And post game, depending on how fast the turnover is to the next game, um, how do we get you to wind down? It can be as simple as you know. One of the reasons why people, a lot of the athletes, you know, they're spinning. They just had an amazing game. You know, you come off the game, you're you're lit up, you're ready to go, adrenaline, and your mind is like, and so you're like, yeah, now I'm supposed to go to sleep? Like, you got to be kidding me. And so, you know, they're going to want to go and game and do stuff. Even if they go back to their rooms, they're young guys. They're not going to do that necessarily, even if they know they're supposed to. Um, But there are some fun hacks to that. Um, We're using it with some of the Olympic athletes is you can stop your mind spinning. Um, One of the quickest ways to do it, and we do have a sort of hardware device that can help with it, but just cooling your forehead. So your prefrontal cortex is where your decision making, that's where a lot of the amping is happening. And so honestly, just cooling your forehead and going back to, you mentioned meditation, some of those things are, are how we downshift. So it's important to have sort of a downshifting routine and it's back down to cues. If you're one of those athletes that listens to a certain song to warm up, you are using cueing. And so cueing is a way that we tell our clock that I want to do this at a certain time. And we train our bodies to look for those cues. Um, when it comes to jet lag, it's all about setting up those cues ahead of time, because once you're in the middle of doing that experience, it can be difficult. So you have to preset that up. If it's a big jet lag sort of scenario where you're going to like China or you're going to flip, you know, a very big distance, um, you can pregame your jet lag and you can start a couple days shifting it. So a lot of the players, you know, if you took Brazil, for example, where you're you're doing a pretty extreme um, jet lag when you if you were to break that down and so you you actually force that player to have protocols so as they're headed to going back they're going to start changing and shifting again they're moving that clock back to the chronotype 
if it's a framework, this is your clock. We're going to shift that dial along as we go. And we can pregame into that. So you're basically pregaming by before you get on the flight, you're going to start doing that. We're going to be really strict on the protocols of when they sleep and how they sleep on the plane. And what happens when they land is really important. So depending on the time of day they land, we want to basically shoot them into that day. So we want to make sure wherever it is on that day that they're they're basically their schedule takes over from there. So if they're used to working out at noon and they arrive at noon, they have to work on that schedule. And we're going to really emphasize, we're going to overemphasize that. So there's, those are some of the, the sort of very top level, but it is, yeah, it is yeah. in the minutia of the details, but person by person, you can manage those details and, and take the, the sort of risks and opportunities and, and put it together into a plan, but it is a recipe for each of those. And it would be slightly different if even you were going to Brazil versus you were going to go to Portugal. It would be a slightly yeah. different, but that's where when we work with like the Reds, it is a different recipe every time. This to me sounds like it would be like an integral part of that structuring though, because obviously you've got you've got strengthening and conditioning, you've got the recovery doctors, and then you've got the physios, of course, who are taking care of you there, but you've also got the dietitians because if you're going to be kind of factoring in sleep, then obviously as part of that is going to have to be meal times and what it is you're going to eat at a certain time because there's no point having a you know you telling them okay you need to be having a nap at this point and a dietitian saying no well you need to be eating some pasta at this point it's like well what, am i eating pasta or am i sleeping like which yeah, one am i doing and we do work with all of them in that way you know one of the things that really affects sleep is dehydration and so again um making sure that they have the right amount of potassium and magnesium mm. um often what will also help you fall asleep is a glow low glycemic snack before bed so we want to make sure that their snacks are right if they're doing it so um, although we're, we're not really prescribing things that are nutritional per se, like I don't d dictate what they eat. Um, some of the metrics of what works well for sleep come into it. So we, we kind of help to, to mitigate and move things around and, and work with those coaches. Oh, this sounds amazing. Um, it really does. So, I mean, I'm guessing, I mean, I, I am making a bit of an assumption here, but I'm guessing it's a mixture of with these sports sides, um, it's a mixture of the coaching and the hardware. Then it's a case of okay, here is the here's the structure, here's how it works. But how does that work with your your kind of equipment? So if you think about the cooling pad and the cube and things, does the do the players take that with them? Like, how do you deal with that when you're on the road? So some teams we do have a full kit that includes like, you know, back to your blackout curtains that clips like down to clips that keep the curtains closed and uh, blue light blocking glasses. So if they're on their phones, we're mitigating that. So they get a full kit with our sort of cooling and heating hardware. Um, but then there's also cases where we'll actually partner with the hotel. So we have some hotel partners where it's installed in the hotel. Some of it depends, <clears throat> excuse me, my throat's going froggy, but some of it depends on like the room on their airplane, honestly. So mm. when you think about like this, the size of the team and how much room there are, there's a pretty big difference, American football team size and what they're yeah. all dragging with them um, versus a baseball team or even a basketball team. We, you know, there's pretty different sort of metrics. So working with the equipment uh, people really makes a big difference there on, on what's going to work best for their particular team and, and their travel schedules. Most of them, though, will have the equipment installed at home. So at least when they're at home, they're getting good sleep. Makes a lot of sense for the hotel chains as well, because, I mean, 
uh, I imagine it's the same for for U.S. sports teams and franchises as it is here. But teams will typically choose the same particular hotels to kind of frequent and like out of town teams staying will usually stay at one or two hotels uh, in a particular city. So I can kind of understand as well from a hotel perspective why that probably gives you a competitive edge over, you know, some of the other people tendering for that contract to be able to say, well, look, we've got the hardware in place to be able to facilitate that, that better, higher quality level of sleep. Although I'm not sure if, uh, if Liverpool were inviting teams over to, to Liverpool to stay at a hotel that they'd want their rivals having that, but maybe that's the hotel's decision. <laughs> yeah. The, the hotel has to negotiate it. Well, it is, it is really interesting. Hotels have not, if you look at a hotel site, they're not selling you on your sleep. They're selling you on this beautiful experience of what happens mm. when you're awake of where you eat and what you do. And there is a change, you know, I know um, Pan Pacific in London, um, is partnering with us on, and there's more and more that are like, I want a wellness floor. I want a floor that's focused on sleep. And so they're really starting to experiment with that, even with the general public. Um, but they, they understand their role when it comes to teams is they have to have downtime. They have to be healthy in order to perform. And so they're willing to invest in, in making sure the teams have exactly what they need, even down to individual players. Some of the star players will get sort of different recipe of pillows or things like that than other you know sort of general people would get well it's what you just said though like the hotels are saying that i mean the wellness floor makes a whole lot of sense but saying they want a floor for sleep surely every hotel floor is a floor for sleep i mean isn't that why it's there No, no, it really, it really isn't. It's not broken. (laughs) It's really broken in our, like in our, our mental state. We're not going there to sleep. We're going there to like have a pad to crash at. Yeah, they're not, they're not setting it up that way. But that's sort of the the goal is, I think, using the professional teams to to leverage that, sort of force that equation. More and more business travelers, you know, even people we work with, CEOs or whatever, um, that is that is a big part of it. If like if you have to do a big presentation that's not that different than a big performance on a game, you got to be able to be cognitively aware. You can't be jet lagged if you're having a big board presentation the next day. You have to be on the top of your game, whatever that game is. And so, you know, that's where we've worked with, you know, presidents and presidents as they were on the road campaigning. Um, you know, how do you go door to door equivalent of campaigning and keep at the top of your game? You, you have mm. to manage it. Well, on that note, before we go, because I will give people an opportunity to get in touch with you, I want us to repeat the conversation that we had off air beforehand, because I told you that obviously I'm in the process of sorting mine out and the delay had been my wife deciding whether she wanted to join or not because we were umming and ahhing. And in the end, she decided, no, I don't think I do. I think this is probably your thing. You go and do it. And you mentioned to me that I should repeat to her. Well, in fact, I'll let you say it. What did you say I should repeat to her? Yeah, you you really need to let her know that... um, So. Early on, again, campaigning, um, the Obamas, you know, we, we gave them to sort of Barack and Joe Biden because they were on the road. Um, but uh, Michelle discovered that maybe she did want it after all. So she stole Joe's and then we had to get one for Joe. And um, he is he has continued to use it and it, it went to the White House. So we're feeling pretty, pretty privileged that way. But yeah, they're not the only ones. It, it sort of starts out, I think guys will feel like they're hot or sometimes women with menopause or whatever as well but you know they'll be kind of more apt to wanting to to start into that but i i feel like the biggest one we get a lot is someone saying i really thought i slept okay i really didn't think i need that but i sleep really amazing now it's actually a game changer 
almost more fun with the people that think they sleep well. And then they actually mm -hmm. look at it like, oh, actually, I could sleep better. And wouldn't you want to just sleep better if you can? It really is death. Definitely. Well, I imagine that that's going to be exactly the same in this household. I'm predicting this now. I'm going to put it on air, and I'm going to play this back to my wife in a few months' time when she's made me buy another one because um, <laughs> I imagine that that's exactly what's going to happen. Although there is something quite amusing about the fact that I know I'm having the exact same conversation with my wife that Barrack had with Michelle. <laughs> Yes, um, we're all, we're all, we actually talked about that off air too. Uh, we're all more normal than we think. Like we yeah. put all of this that everybody's so different. The dynamics aren't that different. It doesn't matter who you are. I'm with you, Barack. <laughs> I'm with you, brother. I'm feeling your pain. Um, and uh, hopefully my wife doesn't steal it from me. I'm very much looking forward to, um, uh, to, 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 well, to experiencing this. I think, as you say, I'm looking forward to the, to the game changer and, and, I can't thank you enough for all of your time. I think you've given so much value. Um, I can see why people, well, my, my first bit of advice to people before we kind of tell people where to go and, and how they can get in touch would be, you got to get involved, right? You got to try this out. You got to see what this is all about. Check out the, the cooling pads, check out the, the weighted blankets, check it all out. Just check out chilly sleep is, is the first thing I'd say. Um, you know, you, they say that rest is such an important component of success right and sleep is is at the heart of that so you know if there's something we can do to prolong sleep and improve that absolutely fantastic and you mentioned earlier didn't you about how you know many of these uh, particular illnesses like especially illnesses that happen later on in life they're now being linked back to deep sleep throughout life so you know think about things like dementia and alzheimer's and, and, and all kinds of bits and pieces i mean if there's a way of prolonging that or avoiding it or whatever then it's really something we should be doing and should be taking um as for sports clubs i mean manchester united and chelsea you guys stick to what you're doing don't get involved in this at all but liverpool um if you're listening um you know all joking aside uh, anybody who kind of has that international roster of players that that this is a regular issue for you should seriously be having this conversation, uh, especially those clubs playing in, in European competitions that are constantly traveling around Europe, if nothing else. This is this is a must and, a, and an absolute conversation with you. So um, you should be getting in touch with Tara to have this conversation. Uh, I hope you do a first come, first served kind of thing where you say, great, we'll take five of you and the rest of you can whistle. I'd, I'd quite like it. Are, are, you, are you committing me that I have to take Liverpool over everyone else? Is oh, that, yeah, is that, definitely. Is that the conversation? Definitely. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. We, we have that and conversation it, it, even with U.S. teams a lot. So, what is the, the other teams doing? Uh, how do we? But I think there's a, a baseline of of just loving the sport. And uh, when you love a sport, you really want all the players to be healthy. You don't want them to be injured. True. You don't want them to not perform no, right. because it really means great games for everybody. And so, even so when true. we were, you know, in the NBA and all of the the teams in the bubble. It was sort of like, okay, I'd rather be on every, you know, with every team in a bubble and make sure everybody performs well because that just makes it, yeah. it better for everybody. But it is hard not to play some favorites along the way. Yeah, of course. And actually, all, all joking aside, there are a number of players over the years and, and including to this day that, you know, they they aren't achieving their full potential because injuries are getting in the way. And it's absolutely heartbreaking to see because when they are playing, they are absolutely phenomenal. And then they spend so much of their time 
um, you know, uh, on the physio's table and recovering and in surgery and post-op and all this kind of stuff. So um, I, you're absolutely right. If we can kind of start to eliminate more and more of those injuries through rest and recuperation and sleep and um, and we can prolong people's careers even, you know, and have these players around for longer, then I'm absolutely all game for that. So I do want Liverpool to get preferential treatment. Of course I do. But um, I absolutely do. I would love people to kind of get that get that support there. And in fact, Liverpool may well actually uh, be a good one for you, especially if you're already working with baseball teams, because the owners of Liverpool also own the Red Sox. Um, oh, there you go. So, so there's already that connection there. So you can talk to them about baseball and then tell them that I said they've got to deal with Liverpool. <laughs> I'm not that's picking up so the tab, good. though. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's probably a good thing. <laughs> yeah, they can do that. John, put your hand in your pocket, son. There we go. Um, so, Tara, thank you so much for your time. How can people get in touch with you? Yeah, so, I, you know, it's it's really easy to sort of put it off. But, you know, in the show notes below, I want you to, to look at chillysleepobviously.com. That is where you can go for hardware and blogs and, and information. And a lot of what I talked about here today is in some of those blogs. Um, if you want more information about me, I have a page on there. And you can, you know, click in about making an appointment, talking about coaching, sort of reaching out if you're at a team level. Um, we do obviously special programs for teams, as I mentioned with the Reds or, or some of the other teams. Um, so however you want to get help on sleep, um, if you're just a, a veteran that's looking for uh, a better way, we do a lot of work with veterans. Um, you can also, uh, for Memorial Day in the U.S., we're doing a special promo. Um, so you can always go to our site and, and find a way to connect because no matter who you are and how you sleep, and how you want to fix your sleep, there's a solution there. Yeah, I absolutely love that. And let's be honest, it's one of the only universal things, isn't it? We all got to sleep. <laughs> so um, yes, this and, really and actually, applies right, to everybody. Yeah, right after water. So you can go longer without food than you can without sleep. In about four days, you'll get hallucinations so bad that you won't be able to make it. So, you know, it's wow. in order of importance, um, even put off food, but don't put off sleep. It's pretty up there. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of up there with breathing. So, um, yeah, very much with you. Definitely hope people get in touch. I will also include the link. So definitely check out chillysleep.com in the show notes below. Also go and do the quiz type. I'm I'm going to join you on that, right? I'm going to go do that as soon as we finish this recording. So, Because, um, I, I, again, I think that's going to be really insightful for people and kind of give them a better idea as to what it is that their body clock can do and, and, and how it is that they can start to, as you said, start to hack that and also start to kind of maximize their potential from that um tara you've been an absolute superstar thank you so much for being here yeah thanks for having me hope we can fix your sleep yeah me too me too and lots of other people's in the process let's do it um I really hope you've enjoyed this show. There's been a lot of value here. I promised you it wouldn't put you to sleep, but would definitely help you sleep better. I hope I've kept that promise. Uh, take care of yourselves and we'll, we'll see you next time. This is Billionaires in Boxes, empowering one billion entrepreneurs, one podcast at a time.